If you got the notes when you came in, um, this is one of those days you can just disregard them. At least you can disregard the first page. Because I want to come at this uh, passage just a little bit differently than uh, what's printed out there for you, and that's the, the danger of giving you something in advance of, uh, of the day of. You know, I was sitting in my uh, green chair, not my green chair, actually John Gardner's green chair because uh, he donated to the parsonage before we got there, but I was sitting in his green chair yesterday watching my favorite college football team as they almost gave the game away and then hung on at the very end to win. And as I was uh, getting caught up in it, all of a sudden I got this email and it was an email about Debbie Carney. And uh, some of you read it. Her sister fell yesterday out in California, and she wasn't doing well. And so I stepped outside to talk to Howard for a minute as the game was going on and found out that uh, she's, she's died. She suffered a brain aneurysm. And all of a sudden... That football game just didn't seem as important anymore. All of a sudden, what's really important in life was brought to my attention. And so I think this passage of Scripture that we're going to talk about this morning is absolutely foundational to the Christian life. If you read the Gospel of John... And I talk about this actually on page two of my notes, but now I'm going to talk about it on page one right now, okay? If you read the Gospel of John, Jesus is described as the word of life in chapter one. We need him for salvation. He's described as the bread of life in chapter six of John's Gospel. He's described as the light of the world in chapter 8. He's described as the good shepherd in chapter 10. And now we come to chapter 15 in John's gospel, and we have another image given to us, which gives us another facet or truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in chapter 15 of the gospel of John, he's described as the vine, and we need vital connection with him. Because you see, when you get to the end of life, it's not about success. It's not about winning football games. It's not about whether or not you get the national championship or win the Super Bowl or get all of the stuff that the world is chasing after. What it's really about is the Lord Jesus Christ and whether or not you have a personal relationship with Him because he's the only one that can get you into heaven. He's the only one that will save you. That's why he's called the bread, the light, the vine, the good shepherd, all of these images that John gives us here in this gospel. And what we see here this morning is if we're in vital connection with him as our Savior and our Lord then his desire for us is that we will bring forth fruit for God's glory in our lives. 
And this image of fruit bearing is used several times in this chapter. In fact, seven times in five verses, we're told that this is the central theme. If we're in connection with the vine, then God wants us to bear fruit. The goal in life isn't success. The goal in life is fruit for God's glory. And so we read in verse 8 of John 15, by this my Father is glorified. Well, how is God glorified? If you win the football game, well, it's a good thing. It's a fun thing. If your basketball team goes undefeated, well, you can glorify God in that way too with the right attitude. But the ultimate way that God is glorified is that if we bring forth fruit to His glory and so prove to be my disciples. Now, notice that. Fruit bearing is actually an acid test of whether you're a fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, there are a lot of people in America today that say that they believe in Jesus, but they don't really bear fruit for Jesus. You'd never know it by looking at their life that they were really a fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he tells us here in verse 8, and so in so doing, you prove to be my disciples. So if fruit is the goal, then my question is how? How do we bear fruit to the glory of God if that's what life's goal is all about? Well, I think that he gives us four secrets here in this passage of Scripture. And the first secret to fruit bearing in our lives is being willing to let God prune us. And so you can fill in the little word pruning there if you're into taking notes on your insert this morning. And now I'm at the bottom of page one in, our, in your notes. In verses one and two of this chapter, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And that Greek word literally means I'm the genuine vine. I'm the real deal. There are a lot of things in life that you think may bring fulfillment to your life and and bring meaning to your life, but I am really it. I'm the true vine. I'm the genuine vine. I'm the life-giving vine. I'm the one you need. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch in, in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, notice this image of the vine, which we just mentioned earlier. Did you know that Israel was called the vine of God in the Old Testament? And if you look at your notes on the top of page 2, I've given you a number of passages of Scripture there. Isaiah chapter 5, Jeremiah chapter 2, Ezekiel chapter 15, Hosea 10.1, Psalm 80. There are all kinds of passages in the Old Testament that describe Israel, the nation of Israel, as God's vine that he lovingly planted. And if you walked through the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives during Jesus' day, you would see all kinds of vine 
groves. Is that what they call them, vine groves? That's not the right word, but whatever it is, the vine whatever, you know, the vine field. or You'd see all these, these, these vines out there because it was the national symbol of Israel. It was the plan of Israel. In fact, it was the emblem on the coins of the Maccabees and the symbol of the, the holy place in the temple, the vine. They were as frequent as the apple tree or the blueberry bush is here in New York. And man, am I looking forward to apple cider donuts. When, when, do they, when do they start making those things? Is it right after Labor Day? Man, this is a good time of year, isn't it? Well, in Israel, it was the vine. Here, it's the apple tree and apple cider donuts. You could see them all over the place. And Jesus said, I'm the true vine, the real, authentic vine. And periodically, God, our gardener, will prune us if we're a branch that's intimately related to and connected to the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is the stalk of that vine. Now, this word to prune means to make pure or to cleanse. And just like you would prune a tree or you'd go out and trim a bush, they had to, they would prune the vines in Jesus' day every December and January. And for three years, the vines didn't grow fruit until they were more mature so that they could really produce fruit. Now, you see this bush up there on this slide that I've got here for you this morning. Do you know what that bush is? That's a bush that's beside the driveway of our home in Nebraska. Elizabeth's back there today, and she took a picture of that thing this week. Now, I just want you to know that's not how the bushes looked when I was living there, okay? (laughs) That thing needs to be trimmed. It's gotten a little shaggy. There's nobody back home to take care of that thing now. But if I was there, I'd trim it. I'd prune it. And just like you trim a bush, you prune vines. And sometimes God has to trim us back. He has to prune us in order to shape us into the image of his son. How many of you saw the little devotional in the daily bread this last week called How to Carve a Duck? Wasn't that just a great devotional? It's worth reading in case you didn't get to read it. I love David Roper whenever he writes a devotional in, uh, in the Daily Bread. It's always something profound. And he and his wife had met this, this master woodcarver years ago who uh, lived out in uh, Maryland, I think it was, or pardon me, Virginia. And uh, he would carve these ducks, and they asked him how he did it. And he said, well, carving a duck is simple, he said. You just look at a piece of wood and you get in in your head what a duck looks like and then you cut off everything that doesn't look like a duck and then you have a wooden duck. And so it is with God, David Roper wrote. He looks at you and me and we're blocks of rough wood. He envisions Christ-like women or a man hidden beneath the bark, the knots, and the twigs. And then he begins to carve away. Carving is just another way of saying he prunes us. 
He trims us back. He clips back the bush. He trims the vine. He carves away everything that doesn't fit that image. We'd be amazed if we could see how beautiful we are as finished ducks. But first we must accept, and I think this paragraph is worth listening to, first we must accept that we are a block of wood and allow the artist to cut, to shape, and sand us where he will. And this means viewing our circumstances, pleasant or unpleasant, as God's tools that shape us. He forms us one part at a time until into the beautiful creature he envisioned in our ungainly lump of wood. So consider yourself a vine or a lump of wood, whatever it is this morning. God has had to prune me in many different ways in my own life, and he's got different tools that he's used over the years to do it. Let me just mention three this morning, see if any of them fit for you. He prunes me sometimes through the tool of unanswered prayer. You know, you pray and you pray and you pray and you want this and you pray earnestly and you pray fervently and you think you're praying in God's will and the answer is no. Or the answer is not now. And when you get a not now or you get a no, that's God pruning you. Because sometimes we just think we know what's right for our lives. Or we think we know what we want that's going to be good for us. But God knows better. And so when we get that not now or we get that no, it's like he's taking his clippers to us. And he's trimming back the bush. And it's disappointing. But you know what? Disappointment isn't bad because disappointment can lead to dependency and humility in our relationship with the Lord. It's a way of making us more dependent on him because we don't have the answer or what we thought was the answer. And so the answer is no or not now. And that can be one way that he prunes us. I ran across a fascinating quote by Richard Hendricks a few years ago, and I clipped it and put it in one of my files Listen to this. He said, second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness and maturity and genuine spirituality most of us have ever encountered. And so sometimes God makes us wait because it's good for us and he's teaching us something through the tool of unanswered prayer. Another method of pruning that God has used in my own life has been unexpected problems. Now, if you're following along in the notes, I'm on page three now, and so I've got a little smiley face there by this statement because it's true. I can honestly say I've never had a problem in my life that I wished was there. (laughs) You don't go looking for problems. That's why they call them problems. You don't wake up in the morning and the first prayer of your mouth is, Lord, send me some problems today. 
We don't go looking for those. But God allows them anyway. He allows problems to come across our path because he needs to prune us back. He needs to trim us. He's making us into the image of his Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to stay connected to the vine. We're dependent. And so he sends us problems. Things like unwanted physical pain and unwelcome sickness and uninvited circumstances to bring us to our knees and bring us back to himself. A third thing that God has used in my own life is unwanted people. Now, you might think, well, that's a strange thing for a pastor to say, unwanted people. I thought pastors were supposed to love people. But guess what? Some people are easier to love than other people. Have you ever noticed a pattern in your life that God has a way of bringing bringing back people in your life that look familiar? I've seen that person before, or that's happened to me before, because God will bring people into our lives that will humble us or even hurt us, but they're there to teach us something about ourselves because he wants to make us more into the image of our Lord Jesus. He's pruning us. He wants us to stay connected to the vine. John Ortberg said at one point, God isn't at work producing the circumstances I want. God is at work in my life in bad circumstances to produce the me that he wants. And I love what Tim Bascom put or wrote in his book, The Comfort Trap. He said, we're too comfortable to be spiritual. We think we're able to pursue God better without danger or hardship. And yet it works in just the opposite way. Nothing is more difficult than to grow spiritually when you're comfortable. And so God clips us. Ouch! Ooh! Clipping is painful. It hurts when you take those clippers to something. But God is in the process of pruning. And that's the first secret to a fruitful life. Cooperate with God when he's pruning you. Surrender to him. Let him have his way in your life. How many times have I stiff-armed God? I've said it before, and we, we resist God. We fight against God when he takes out those clippers because it, it isn't pleasant. Now, the second secret that we see in this chapter in verses 4 and 5 is the secret of abiding. And God prunes us so that we will abide in him. Notice verses 4 and 5 again. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. The NIV said, which Cliff read for us, remain in me. Just another way of saying it. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me, abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Here's that goal of life again, fruit bearing to the glory of God. And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now look at the end of verse 5 again, just very quickly. Most of us have read this scores of times. In fact, some of you have memorized these verses. But take a pen and circle that last phrase. Put a big circle around that last phrase. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Circle that phrase. That's the foundation of the Christian life. That's the heart of the Christian life right there. Because you see, the Christian life is not the story of what I can do for God. See, I've said it before, we can't save ourselves and we can't live the Christian life. We've got to have his help to do it. The story of the Christian life is what God does in me and through me is I stay connected to the life-giving vine. That's why it's so important to get this principle of abiding. The moment we become disconnected, we lose connection with the source, the very source of our life, our power, the means of bringing fruit to his glory. And we become nothing more than just a dried, wither-up branch It's a little bit like that big hurricane eye ring that that came through the Skohori Valley five years ago in 2011. There were a bunch of dead branches along the ground at that point, right? And they picked them up, and what'd they do? They put them in a big pile, and they burned them. That's what Jesus talks about here in verse 6. We just become a dried, withered branch. We're worth nothing unless we're, we're, we're connected to him, abiding in him. Now, notice that word abide, and I would, I would challenge you to take your Bible home this afternoon. If you've got a paper Bible, what I would call a real Bible, <laughs> not just one of those Bibles on your phone. It's okay to get Scripture on your phone, too, if that's the way you get it. The important thing is to get it however you get it. But if you've got a paper Bible, take it home with you this afternoon and circle the word abide in the first 16 verses of this chapter. You know how many times the the word is used? Five times this word is repeated in verses 4 through 6 alone, and 11 times, almost a dozen times, Jesus repeats this word abide, 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 11 times. You get the feeling it's an important concept? Something God wants us to remember if he repeats it that many times in 16 verses? It's foundational. And please notice, it's a command. It's not an option. Look at verses 4 and 9 again. Jesus doesn't give us a choice here. Well, I guess we've got a choice. You can choose to disobey. But this is a command. It's not an option. He says, abide in verse 4. He says, abide in my love in verse 9. And then notice it's in the present tense. Our abiding is to be ongoing. You don't just get plugged into the, the stalk of the vine and, and, and then you're just good for one time. You got to stay connected. This is an ongoing, continuous, intimate, vital, personal relationship that Jesus is describing here. 
Stay connected. Now, if this is true, how do you stay connected? Well, look at verse, pardon me, I've got to get the right, I want to get the right verse here. I don't want to get the wrong verse. Where does it talk about? It's verse 7, right? Yep, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you will. We stay connected by getting into the Word of God. Now, how many of you have been here the last two weeks before this one? Did I see your hands? That's great. I need to give you a gold pen for faithful church attendance. (laughs) If you've been here the last two weeks, what have you been hearing Paul say in 1 Thessalonians? And we've, we've taken a break from it. We've been talking about getting into the Word of God. Here, Jesus is teaching us the same thing. The way we abide and the way we stay connected to the vine and rooted in Him, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It's in your notes. We stay rooted in Him and continue to live and be built up in Him by getting into the Word of God, verse 7 here in chapter 15. The Word of God, abiding in the Word, is the way we stay connected to the vine. And we need to be in the Word daily or we will not abide. It's not enough to just show up here on Sunday morning and hear a sermon or to hear your favorite preacher on the radio on Monday morning and think that you're going to maintain a vital, intimate, personal, daily relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to be in the Word daily, regularly. Verse 7, circle it in your Bible. Elizabeth and I are just loving going around New York, looking at all the, the, the fascinating history and stuff. If we can get away on Mondays, we get away almost every Monday and go do something. Years ago, I read this analogy the difference between being a tourist and an explorer. We go out every Monday, but we don't go out as tourists. We're living here right now. We go out to explore. You know what the difference between a tourist and an explorer is? A tourist just kind of brushes by stuff. You're just, you're there on vacation and you, you quick, you just go through, go through it and you see it. But an explorer takes time. And they're interested in all the details of whatever it is they've gone to to see, like going to explore in the Catskill Mountains. There's two ways you can read the Word of God. You can read the Word as a tourist, or you can read the Word as an explorer. In verse 7, Jesus says, be an explorer of God's Word. Dig, get into the Word. Let his words abide in you. You know what that means? Let them take up their home in you, make their residence in you, and make your home in the word. Look at verse 7, abide. That's what that means. Now, very quickly, the last two secrets, and we've got to wrap this up. For a fruit-bearing, God-glorifying life, The third secret is to ask, verse 7. 
Get in the Word. Let His words abide in you. And then it says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. That's, that's prayer, isn't it? And this, this word to ask, which is used here in verse 7, is the same word used in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, where Jesus is talking about knocking. Remember, knocking and keep on knocking, seeking and keep on seeking. That's, this is an analogy for prayer. It means to beg, to go calling, to crave for, to desire, to require of God. And the promise here is that if we're people of prayer, if we will ask, we'll stay connected to the vine, we'll bear fruit, and he, he promises to answer our prayers. It says, and it will be given you. Now, let me just say something about this. I don't think this is a carte blanche promise that everything you think of God is going to do for you. That's not what this verse is talking about. What this verse is talking about is getting into the Word, getting your will in line with God's will as you're in the Word, and then as you ask, God will do a work in your heart. As you, you ask and you keep on asking, He will change your will to get in line with God's will, and you'll be asking for the things that God wants you to ask for. And God will answer those prayers every time when you're praying in line with the will of God. And so we have this principle of asking or praying, delighting ourselves in the Lord, and he'll give us the petitions of our heart, Psalm 37, 4. And then the last secret, the secret of obeying. Look at verse, verses 9 through 11, and especially verse 10. Secret number one is pruning. Secret number two is abiding and then asking and then obeying. As the Father has loved me, so I've, I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As I have kept them, Jesus said my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. The principle of obedience, obeying God, that's the fourth and final principle in this passage of Scripture. If we want to stay in vital communion with the vine and produce fruit in our lives, which glorifies God. One man said several years ago, one of these days... Some simple soul will pick up the book of God, the Bible, read it, and believe it. And then the rest of us are going to be embarrassed because we've adopted the convenient theory that the Bible is a book to be explained, whereas first and foremost, the Bible is a book to be believed and obeyed. You know what the biggest danger is of sermon preaching? in teaching through a passage like this, like we're doing today. The biggest danger is we hear it and it's explained and we walk out and we start measuring our spirituality by what we hear instead of by what we do with what we hear. But the bottom line is obedience. That's the fourth principle here in this passage of Scripture. 
And God's commands are not burdensome. They're given to us for our well-being and good because look at verse 11. They're meant to bring us joy. Do you know why so many people don't obey God in their lives? Because they think God is some giant killjoy that's out there to ruin their lives. And so if they obey God's commands, they're going to be miserable. But that isn't God. God isn't a giant killjoy out to ruin your life. Look at verse 11. His goal is joy overflowing and fruit being produced in every season of your life to his glory. And that's meaningful life. That's life the way it's really meant to be lived. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Your word is...